Welcome to the preaching podcast of Poplar Springs Baptist Church in Hiram, Georgia, and the preaching ministry of our senior pastor, Wayne Meadows. It is our desire that the message you hear today would call you to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, and that your life would give glory to God as you apply the biblical truths proclaimed. For more information about the ministry of Poplar Springs Baptist Church, check us out on the web, www.psbchurch.net. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the preaching of God's Word. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And this morning I want to preach to us about standing strong in Christ. Standing strong in Christ. In Christ. So if you have your Bibles open, follow along as I read and hear the Word of God this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May the Lord bless this morning the reading and the preaching of his word. Paul begins our passage this morning with the word, finally. And that may perhaps be a word that you would choose to apply to the sermon. Finally, we're coming near to the end of the book of Ephesians. If my count is correct, this is, uh, I believe, the 21st message that we've had as we worked our way through the book of Ephesians. And Lord willing, there will be a 22nd next Sunday as we wrap up the final verses. But Paul uses the word finally, not simply because he is coming to a conclusion of his letter. That certainly could be the case and certainly has implications, but Paul does not use the word finally because he is getting to the end, but rather he uses the word finally because he is coming to the climax. Paul is bringing us to a very important important point of consideration in his letter to the believers at Ephesus. Paul is telling us in these familiar verses That we as followers of Christ, we as believers, find ourselves engaged in a battle today. We're in a fight today. We're in a fight. A fight upon which depends the joy of our heart, the happiness of our marriage, the welfare of our children, the security of our home, and the influence of our life. We're 
in a war. Paul does not come to this passage on spiritual warfare arbitrarily. No, he he comes to it very wisely. He comes to it uh, with great reason. For the last several Sundays that we've been in the book of Ephesians, we've been looking at the instruction, the command that Paul gave for us to be spirit-filled and how yielding our lives to the influence and the control of the spirit plays out in several arenas, several relationships. Paul talked to us about having spirit-filled marriages, spirit-filled wives and husbands, He talked to us about being spirit-filled parents and spirit-filled children. And then last week, we looked at being spirit-filled followers and leaders. Paul says, if we would yield our lives to the control of the Spirit, this is how it should shape our living. And then immediately after that, Paul says, finally. Paul is wanting us to know that in those arenas of relationships, there's a battle that rages for the believer. We are involved in spiritual warfare. But the problem for many of us here this morning, the problem for many believers, is that we often fail to remember that. Or for some, they don't even realize it. Many of God's soldiers are sleeping in the barracks instead of being out on the battlefield. And that's why so many are being overrun by the enemy. They're losing the battle with the devil day by day. They're not showing up to the fight. In this passage, we find Paul issuing our call to arms and action as Christians engaged in the good fight of the faith. Do you remember Paul's last words that he would pen to Timothy, his son in the faith? 2 Timothy chapter 4, what did he tell him? I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. Hear me this morning, believer. Hear me today, Christian. Make note of this. Life is war. Life is war for the child of God. We have an enemy. And Paul here in these verses is calling us to action. He's calling us to engage in this good fight of the faith. You remember again, hopefully, from the last few sermons in Ephesians that those relationship areas that Paul has drawn attention to, they're they're all uh, predicated by the command that he gave in Ephesians 5.18, the imperative, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit and let that influence your marriage, your home, your job, all of your relationships. That command in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit was the last imperative that Paul would give for many verses. But now when he comes to the passage today, Paul's making up for lost ground. In our text today, just in these few verses that we're considering, Paul gives us five direct commands. He writes five imperatives. He says, this is what you must do in this fight. This is what you must do as a believer in the battle. He's calling us to action. And then coupled with those direct commands, he adds seven additional participles. You remember what a participle is. It isn't actually a verb, but it has verb-like action. So Paul is giving us seven participles describing how we're to engage in this fight. And at the bottom of it all, Paul wants us as believers in this fight, in this spiritual warfare, to stand. To stand. And oh, how we need to hear 
the word of God today. It saddens me, it pains me, it grieves me, especially as a pastor, to see so many believers who aren't standing but falling. Believers who are being overrun by the enemy. Believers who aren't taking seriously the battle that we find ourselves in the midst of. Paul tells us today to stand. He says it over and over and over again. In verse 11, he tells us to stand against the schemes of the devil. He tells us in verse 13 that we would take on the armor of God to withstand in the evil day. And then to stand firm. And then in verse 14, he starts off by simply saying, stand therefore. In this fight, we must stand. But how do we do that? How do we stand strong in Christ? Well, there's three things I think we need to understand to be able to do that. I want to look at them with you this morning. We're going to walk back through the text, and I'm going to give them to you today. Number one, to stand strong in Christ means that we must stand in Christ's power. We must stand in Christ's power. This is where Paul begins the passage. This is verses 10 through 12. Paul says, finally, climactically, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul takes us back to where he began the book of Ephesians. It's amazing to me that our passage today serves as a bookend to the beginning of the letter. Paul comes back to the very theme, the very idea that he sought to communicate from the very first verses in Ephesians chapter 1. That all the blessings of God come to us in Christ. And so here, as he is calling us to arms in the midst of the spiritual warfare, he is telling us that we must be strong in the Lord. We must be strong in Christ. Where do you draw your strength from today as a believer? Where does your power come from? The world would tell you to simply look within The world would say, it's got to come from within you. You must be what you need. But Paul today tells us, no, we stand strong in the Lord. As we stand strong in him, we're standing in the strength of his might. I love what Paul is telling us here. He gives us a picture of God that sometimes I don't think we think on often. Paul is telling us here that our God, that our Savior, that Christ is a mighty warrior. Gary Galliotti is a name that many of you probably would not know. I would be surprised if anyone here today knew the name Gary Galliotti. He served at Southeastern Seminary for many years uh, as professor of Old Testament. He hailed from Oklahoma. He was a proud Okie, and he had a very distinct Midwestern accent. And I loved to hear him teach the Old Testament. In nearly every class, that I set in with him, he would remind us over and over and over again that our God is a warrior God, that our God is a mighty God, that our God is a fighting God. Psalm 24 is near and dear to my heart in part because of the influence of Dr. Galliotti upon my life. Psalm 24 reminds us of who the Lord is. Who is this King of glory? The psalmist asked. He is the Lord, strong and mighty and mighty in battle. That's who our God is today. So we stand in the strength of his might. Our God is not frail. 
Our God is not weak. Our God has all the ability in the world and all the might in the world. So we stand in him. And Paul makes it clear to us why we must stand in the strength of the Lord. Why we must be strong in his might. He tells us in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. He's going to come back to that for this reason, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul says we must stand in the strength of the might of the Lord because of the enemy that we face. Left to ourselves and of ourselves and with our own ability and our own might, we would not stand a chance. We must stand in Christ today. Paul elaborates for us on the enemy that we face as believers. And I would remind you again, you have an enemy today as a child of God. This is one of the great misconceptions in the Western church today that you come to Christ and everything is hunky-dory. Oh, not so. You come to Christ today and life becomes war for you. You gained an enemy. The devil himself, the demons of hell, the minions of Satan. Oh, they seek to influence, to overrun, to to push you down, to topple you over. Paul says we have an enemy. It's the devil. We need to understand that. Douglas MacArthur was a great general for the United States. You're familiar with that name. He wrote, Requisites for Military Success. And in that work, he listed four principles necessary to win the battle. Number one, he said, was morale. You've got to have good morale among the troops. And I'm thankful today that in this spiritual fight, we have great morale because the joy of the Lord is our strength. He said, you've got to have morale. He said, you've got to have strength. Paul's already told us that. We stand in the strength of his might. He said, you've got to have supply. You've got to get the resources to the troops. And we're going to see how God supplies us in this fight in a moment. But MacArthur also said, you must possess knowledge of the enemy. He would write, the greater the knowledge of the enemy, the greater the potential of victory. And Paul here is telling us about our enemy. He tells us, first of all, that he is demonic. That we fight against Satan himself. We fight against the devil And this is where the battle differs. There's a spiritual realm and a spiritual battle that is raging. As we think about facing a demonic enemy, I think there's two considerations we we need to keep in mind. Number one is that we don't give too much consideration to this. That's one ditch we can lead off into. That's those people who see the devil and demons and absolutely everything. They're casting devils out of door jams and carpets and their car and their sock drawer. And I mean, the devil's in everything. These are also the people who say all the time, the devil made me do it. They want to give a whole lot of credit to the devil. We can give too much consideration. I told them in the first service about the lady who showed up to the church potluck dinner. You remember when we used to have those church potlucks? Been a while, right? She showed up and she was overwhelmed that there on the table in the church's sanctified fellowship hall set a platter of deviled eggs. She commenced to trying to cast the devil out of the deviled eggs. Somebody came along and said, sweetheart, I hate to tell you, you can cast the devil out of every one of them if you want to, but when you get done, there's still going to be deviled eggs. Over consideration. But on the other side, the other extreme is too little consideration. And for many of us, this is where we fall. We we don't give enough thought to the real enemy that is against us as the children of God. 
But Paul says he is demonic. He is the devil. He is the ruler of this age. He is the cosmic power over this present darkness. He is a spiritual force of evil. Paul tells us he's destructive. He unleashes fiery darts, he says in verse number 16. He's seeking to do harm to the children of God. Peter would describe him this way. He's a, a walking around, prowling, prowling like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief, speaking of the enemy, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Paul says we're engaged in a wrestling match with him. The word that Paul uses there, wrestling, it's only found this one time in the New Testament. But the word was used widely in the Greek culture of Paul's day. It was used to speak specifically of a wrestling match of two combatants engaging in hand-to-hand combat. Paul says that's what the enemy would long to do with us, to engage us personally, hand-to-hand, close range, to bring about destruction in our lives and relationships. Paul tells us he's deceptive as well. In verse 11, he said we need to stand against the schemes of the devil. The word schemes there speaks of strategies. Our enemy is sly and he is slick. From Genesis 3 on, he has a book full of maneuvers that he will use to trip up the followers of God. The Puritan preacher said it well. He said the the devil will tell you 100 truths so that he can get you to believe the 101st thing that he will tell you, which will be a lie. That's how slick he is. John would write in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that the devil is the deceiver of the whole world. Jesus would call him in John 8, 44, the father of lies. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul would write that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't come to us in a grotesque way many times. He doesn't come to us parading evil. No, he comes presenting himself as something that is acceptable, something that we perceive to be good. But underneath that cloak of deception, there's destruction. Paul says we need to be aware of who our enemy is. And as such, we need to stand in the strength of the Lord. And in that strength, we discover something else about our enemy. And this is the most important thing. He is defeated. He is defeated. MacArthur would write, there is no substitute for victory. Well, I want you to know today, as a child of God in this fight, we have the victory. The victory is ours today. Paul wrote in Colossians 2, in verse number 15, using the same language that he uses here in Ephesians 6, that that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities at the cross, putting them to open shame and triumphed over them christ has won he has prevailed and so that means for us today while this fight rages while there is a battle that is ensuing we're not fighting for victory we're fighting from victory today so let us stand in the strength and the might of the one who has conquered stand in christ's power today but secondly paul tells us in our text that if we would stand strong in christ We must also put on God's provisions. We must also put on God's provisions. In verse 11, Paul tells us, put on the whole armor of God. He comes back to this in verse 13. 
gives us the instruction again. Take up the whole armor of God. In the spiritual fight, the Lord has not left us unprotected or defenseless. He's given us provisions. He's given us his very own armor. Now, it's clear that as Paul elaborates on this armor in verses 13 through 17, that that he has in mind the attire, the armor of a Roman soldier in his day. Paul was extremely familiar with Roman soldiers. He encountered them quite often. In fact, there were even times where one was chained to him everywhere that he went. Paul knew them quite well. He knew all of their attire. And as Paul writes these verses here, he's obviously building upon that imagery But there's something much more that Paul has in mind as well. Paul, as he lists the armor for the child of God, just a couple of observations. He tells us that we need to always face the fight. There's nothing on the backside. We need to stand and face the fight of the enemy. We can't turn and run the other direction. We must put it all on. We can't select which pieces we will take with us. No, he says, put all the armor of God on. But what Paul seems to be driving at in these pieces of armor is not so much an individual piece or a complete piece, if you will, but rather what Paul has in mind is the necessity of the believer to let Christ permeate every aspect of their life. Paul tells us, take up the whole armor of God. He says, you start in verse 14 by having fastened on the belt of truth. What truth? The truth that he has just given to us in the preceding five and a half chapters of the book of Ephesus or Ephesians. You put on the truth of who Christ is and who you are in Christ. He says, you put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know how important that breastplate was. It it protected the vitals of the soldier. And the righteousness of which Paul speaks of here is a a right living, a holy life, pursuing sanctification in Christ. He says you have your shoes put on. You know how important your footwear is. He says make sure you've got the right shoes. Put on shoes for your feet that are, 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 are with the gospel of peace, ready to proclaim it and stand upon it. He says, you add to that a shield of faith. The word shield that he uses here is the the picture of the big shield of the Roman soldier. One that he could get behind entirely. He said, that's faith for the child of God. And by faith, you extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Put on the helmet of salvation. Guard your mind in the truth of Christ. Take up the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the word of Christ. So he gives us all of these pieces. And it's worthwhile to study them individually, to dig deeper into each one. But in doing that, we can't miss the whole. And the whole that Paul is calling us to here is to take up the provision of Christ, which God has given us. You remember earlier in our study in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul introduced us to the put off, put on principle. Put off the ways of the old man. Put off the ways of sin. And put on this new identity and this new reality of who you are in Christ and live that out. It's put off, put on. Paul comes back to that here in Ephesians 6. He says, put on the whole armor of God. And what Paul is getting at here is that we must put Christ on in every aspect of our life. 
as much as Paul has in mind a Roman soldier as he is penning these verses, I believe he has more in mind the words of Isaiah. Isaiah was the prophet of the Old Testament who spoke at the direction of the Lord concerning the coming Messiah. And when he spoke of the Messiah, he often did so in the language and the imagery of warfare. Isaiah tells us over and over again that the Messiah, the Christ, he's coming to win the battle. In Isaiah eleven five, this is what he says, speaking of the Messiah, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. In Isaiah 52, 7, he writes, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him, that is the Messiah, who brings good news. In Isaiah 59, 17, he says, the Messiah has put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. What Paul is ultimately getting at and what Paul is calling us to is to put Christ on in our life. To let Christ color everything that we do. All that we are as we engage in the spiritual fight. That means our life is held together as we gird up our loins, if you will, with the truth of who Christ is. Our, our, our vitals are protected as we engage in the righteousness of Christ. We take the gospel of Christ as our stance in this world. We take up faith in, in Christ to, de, to defend against the arrows of the enemy. We put on the salvation of Christ on our head to guard our minds and to renew our minds. We take up the sword of the spirit, the word of Christ, to engage in the fight that's before us. That's God's provision for you today. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. What we need more than anything in our lives is more Jesus. Put on God's provision. And then finally, Paul tells us in our text to stand strong in Christ. We need to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Verses 18 through 20. Paul says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray. Pray. Uh, A lot of times we think about praying in preparation for the battle. But the truth is, prayer is the battle. Paul calls us to be people who prevail in prayer. And notice where he puts prayer at in the context of war in the context of spiritual fighting in the midst of a battle that is raging he says we must be people who pray i've shared with you before the analogy that john piper uses in this regard of praying he says life is war because the maintenance of our faith and the laying hold on eternal life is a constant fight I don't care how long you've been a believer, how many years you followed Christ, it's going to be a fight until you draw your last breath. It's a fight. Life is war. Piper says, prayer then is the communication by which the weapons or warfare are deployed according to the will of God. He says, prayer is for war. The number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of a believer is that they turn it to a they turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. 
We're so often engaging in prayer like we would call down to the front desk while we stay in a hotel. Send up some softer pillows. We need some clean towels. We need some soft sheets. We need something to make life easier for us. It's a domestic intercom, Piper says. But instead, prayer, Paul tells us here, is a wartime walkie-talkie. It's an instrument that the Lord has placed into the hands of his soldiers, whereby they can reach and have communication with the general in heaven, and they can cry out, send reinforcements. Drop some gospel bombs, if you will. Here's where the enemy is at. Here's where the attack is taking place. Oh God, we need you. Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. How we need to be people who are mighty in prayer today. The old preacher said, it is prayer that Satan fights. It is prayer that Satan fears. But it is prayer from which Satan will flee. Let us pray. Paul gives us some understanding of how we can pray here in our verses. He gives us four inclusions in verse number 18. Four times he uses the word all to kind of guide us in how we're to pray in this battle. He says, first of all, praying at all times. He wants us to pray continually at all times. And that doesn't mean we're always in a state of formal prayer like we would engage in here in a service with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. But it does mean that we're always in communion with God. We're always in, 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 in contact with him. Paul would tell the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. We need to be people who always talk to the Lord. Paul says, pray at all times. Then he adds to that, with all prayer and supplication. This is him telling us to pray broadly. When Paul uses the language of all prayer and supplication, what he's getting at there is that we need to pray about everything. Everything. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And then he adds to that. Keep alert with all perseverance. We need to pray alertly and persistently. We need to be people who guard our prayer lives. Oh, the enemy would love nothing more than to sever communication between you and our captain in heaven. Stay alert. Stay persistent. Keep on guard. And then Paul adds at the end of verse number 18, making supplication for all the saints. He says we need to pray selflessly. Paul calls us to intercessory prayer. We're praying for our comrades in this fight. We're praying for brothers and sisters who are engaged in the conflict with us. And Paul models this. In verse 19, he requests prayer for himself. He says to the believers in Ephesus, pray for me. Pray for me that the Lord would be with me even in my chains. That I would boldly proclaim the gospel. That I would speak it as I should. I don't know about you, but I find great encouragement in that. I find great encouragement that the world's greatest missionary, evangelist, and theologian is asking for prayer. You know what that tells me? If Paul needs prayer, I need prayer. 
I need brothers and sisters in Christ lifting my name to the Lord, praying that I would boldly proclaim the gospel as I ought to speak. You need prayer. You need brothers and sisters in Christ lifting your name to the Lord that you would stand strong in Christ in this fight that is raging around us. We need to pray one for another. And not that we would just have softer, nicer pillows. but that our souls would be hardened, strengthened, steadfast in this fight. You know, one of the greatest encouragements that I have is when someone looks at me and says, Preacher, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. You know, one of the greatest encouragements to me when I've walked in trials is to know that there was someone praying for me. There was a time I was walking in a a really difficult season of life. The fight was real. The battle was raging. And in that season, I was attending a church where there was a a sweet older lady by the name of Charlotte. And she would see me at church and she would say, I want you to know I'm praying for you. Wednesday night, she'd see me at church and say, I want you to know I'm praying for you. She'd see me and she'd say, don't you give up. I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up in prayer every day. I'm praying for you. And I can't tell you the number of times riding down the road, sitting alone with my thoughts, what encouragement that would bring to me to know that here was a sister in Christ who was lifting up my name to the Lord, praying for me. We need to pray for one another. Because the battle is real. Paul says, pray for all the saints. Let me tell you about a man who knew about spiritual warfare. You'll know the name. Some of you may know his story. Martin Luther, the reformer. If you've never read a biography of Luther, I would encourage you to find even a simple one and pick it up. And you'll discover a man who knew that the enemy was real. Legend tells us that the enemy was so real to him that on one occasion he woke up in the middle of the night perceiving that the devil himself was there in his room. And Luther in many occasions was prone just to speak to the devil personally as if he was standing right there in front of him. And on this occasion, he was so vexed and perplexed that he cried out to the devil, calling him to leave, claiming the victory that Christ had won, wanting to stand firm in the strength and the might of the Lord. And it was overwhelming to him. He got out of bed, and there at the table where he would spend hours writing each day, he took the inkwell, which held the ink that he would dip his quill into to to pen his papers with. He held that inkwell in his hand, and the devil was so real to him, he threw it at him. And for many years, the ink stain could still be seen on the wall. He knew what spiritual warfare was. He knew the reality of an enemy who was evil. He knew the present darkness and the spiritual forces of his day. He was called to stand before the Diet of Worms, a council of spiritual and political leaders of his day, and they were calling him to recant 
his teachings and faith. They were calling him to go against the gospel that he preached. On that day, as the charges were leveled against him and his life being in very real danger, Luther looked at them and simply said, Here I stand. Bound by the word of God and conscience, I can do no other. Here I stand. He would pen the words of a familiar hymn that we still sing today. A hymn that captures the warfare that Paul has spoken about. A warfare that Luther knew well. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth. It's not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Saboeth, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And that word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That's a man who knew what it meant to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Believer, hear me today. Stand. Stand in Christ. Stand firm. Stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give our thanks to you today for your word. And we pray that by your word, our lives will be fashioned and shaped into the image of your Son. The one who has proclaimed and secured victory for us. Lord, in that victory, we rejoice. In his might, we stand. And Father, I pray today for those who are with us, those who perhaps are watching online. Lord, they're in the midst of a battle right now. The fight is raging. The arrows are flying. The enemy is real. Lord, I pray today that they would be fully clothed in Christ. That they would not buy the lies of the enemy, but that they would stand on the truth of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would increase their faith. 
God, may it extinguish every attack and every untruth. Father, I pray, Lord, that your word would be, Lord, like a sword wielded in their hands. Lord, there to lead and to guide them, there to remind them of your promises, of your faithfulness. And Father, we pray for them today. Let them stand. I pray for the homes. I pray for the marriages. I pray for the spouses, the relationships, God, that are under attack today. God, the enemy is at work. But today, Lord, today we remind ourselves and we remind him that his doom is sure. He has been defeated. Christ has prevailed. So God, in that victory, let us fight. Father, we ask for these things today in the name of our victorious Savior, in the name of a Lord who is strong and mighty, mighty in battle. In Jesus' name.